Hello, welcome to Braveful, a podcast with and for achieving women. I'm your host, Amy Zeigert. I'm so excited to share with you stories of women who are brave and gutsy. This show is a weekly view into the hearts and minds of what has enabled these fabulous ladies to take a leap and go forward with bold ideas. So join me in an opportunity to listen, learn, and lean in, Braveful style. Hello. Thank you for joining me for episode three of Braveful, a podcast for achieving women. I'm really thankful that you are coming back. So as we start this season of giving, I would like to introduce you to Sarah Castor. She's the executive director of Malembe Rise, also known as Giving Back to Africa. Sarah has earned her achieving woman status with her passion for education, her passion for giving, as well as her leadership qualities for ushering in a 21st century thought process, um, really elevating what philanthropic looks like, especially for a young 501c3 organization such as Malembe Rise. As you think about the charitable organizations on this Giving Tuesday, I ask you to please listen and learn about Malembe Rise, to learn about the Congo. And then if you feel appropriate, if you would please lean into supporting an organization who champions equity through education. It all starts with the opportunity to get educated. And so I hope you will will join me in supporting Malembe Rise on this Giving Tuesday. And again, I'm really, really thankful that you are here. And I look forward to any feedback that you may have. And if you enjoy the podcast, please share. I would really appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah, so much for joining me today. And for my listeners for Braveful, a podcast for achieving women, I want to introduce you to Sarah Castor. She is the U.S. Country Director for Malembe Rise, formerly known as Giving Back to Africa. And I also must disclose that I sit on the executive board for Malembe Rise, an organization that I truly adore and think that there is such purpose in the world for making sure that every child has the opportunity for an education, but especially in developing countries where education really lacks. So so with that said, thank you for being here. So excited to have you. My first question for you is, what path brought you to Malembe Rise? What got you here? Wow. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll start. Going in. We'll start right. We're just going to go right in there. Honestly, I grew up in a very homogenous sort of way with church and school. And I started developing in high school, just a sense of like feeling somewhat disconnected. And on the outside, it maybe looked like everything was going really great. And I looked like a typical high school girl. But on the inside, I was kind of struggling a lot, which is feeling like I didn't connect with or belong anywhere. And that got me really engaged in reading and literature. And with that opened up, obviously, a lot of new worlds and new stories. So when I went to Purdue for my undergrad, you know, the best engineering school in the world, I majored in English. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever gets you through four years. (laughs) My dad was like, hmm, okay. So I was an English major with a philosophy minor. And um, my parents were very worried. But I don't regret it because it opened my world um, immensely. And it was in college that I actually um, spent a summer in Kenya, lived with a a local family in rural Kenya. And it was really that's where this sort of, I guess I would call it a passion, but I'm going to correct that in a second, just of learning more and wanting to know more different perspectives, exploring people's stories, exploring the different ways people were living. And it was so different from mine and recognizing that there wasn't necessarily like these right ways, but there were multiple ways of of having happy life and contributing and being a part and belonging. And so I started exploring all these ideas. So fast forward a little bit and say that after college, I got married and I I have three sons in my life. Willingly, I invested in my uh, husband's career and my children. And that was my main focus. On the side, we started a nonprofit, 
that gave resources, essentially, so money. So we had fancy parties and concerts that gave money to a nonprofit that we started together that worked in several different African countries. And these nonprofits were all run by local leadership, not by Americans, but by local leadership, people I had met in different traveling experiences. So we'll put the pedal down another time and fast forward, ended up getting a divorce, which actually served as a trajectory for me to really invest in myself because I had this passion, these interests and all of this, but I didn't have direction. And I went back to school and I went to IU Lilly School of Philanthropy and I pursued my master's there. Strangely enough, that is when I started thinking about a career. So one of the partners, I guess I should back up a second because I forgot a really important piece of this. But one of the mentors I had throughout my the nonprofit that my ex-husband and I had worked on was Anne-Marie Thompson, who's the founder of Giving Back to Africa. So she mentored me in the sense, what does mentor mean? Well, we just talked through so many things and topics and discussions of how to help people and how do what happens if you help people the wrong way? What does that look like? Is that you know, we had all these philosophical discussions over about 10 years time and, and giving back to Africa was actually a partner that we provided grants to. It's a great opportunity. And so when I finished my master's degree, there was a space at giving back to Africa for a country director. And here I had had this relationship already built with Dr. Jerry, the DRC Congo director. And because we had we had been involved with them for so long with our, a nonprofit. So it was kind of a natural fit, really. It was scary, but stepped into that in a more professional way. Wow. So when you said decided to take care of myself or to invest in yourself, who told you that that was okay to do that? It seems like a lot of people need that push to say, yeah, it's okay. You can go do this. Or was this just kind of back to your desire or passion for learning that you said? If I'm going to continue learning more about the world, I'm going to have to invest in me. I mean, what what was that kind of that impetus that said, let's go, me, 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 finally for once? Honestly, there's a couple of things. One is I have some really amazing friends that do mm. incredible work. Love it. Um, yeah, I had that I've really way before I did had stepped into some pretty remarkable spaces And I was always watching and cheering them on and feeling just so proud. And I I feel like when when some of this happened and my world was sort of crashing down, it was those friends that kind of stood there and didn't push, but just inspired and said, this space is opening up for you. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. This is a time where you step into who you really are and who you've always been, but you've never been willing to do it. Wow. And I thought about my children too. And I thought, what kind of legacy do I want to leave to my kids? And I felt like now's the time. I've invested a lot of energy and, in, in, you know, like you said, some personal like research and, and all of that, but I hadn't really made it professionalized it. So, oh my God, I have goosebumps because it, it is those friends that really get you through the crap in life that build you up, lift you up, and move you over to the next stage, you know, and helps you, they help you cross that chasm instead of falling in, they get you over it, which is pretty cool. So I know the hard work that you are doing with Malembe Rise, still getting used to that as we kind of go through that migration path. So as you think back to being so passionate about Africa, you know, and people will say, you know, I I get this question as a board member, um, you know, we have enough problems here in our own country What's wrong with helping here? And and I do help here, but I, I love your analogy of just the fact that there are different ways to live. And having been to a third world country, people are happy regardless of their situation or their circumstance. They just seem happy. And I wonder, you know, in your travels, do you see that happiness? Because it seems like here in the U.S., it's never enough. You know, we always want more to the point of unhappiness. And how do we get to be happy like third world country happy people? Because I think they're happy. 
because they don't know that you have to have a, a gold toilet at, you know, the White House or wherever that may potentially be. That's another subject. But <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I would say that I think that happiness, whether you're here or in Congo, really comes from building resilience. And I don't think that you, you the unfortunate truth about resilience is it doesn't come when life is easy. It comes when life is hard. And I think that's really one of the key things that I've learned as I've gotten older and life's gotten maybe a little messier or some tragedies happened. It's that resilience that's buoyed me towards happiness. And I think that's the same truth that we see with our partners and the things that they go through every day that are really challenging. It's not that they're on the surface happy. It's that they've learned to push through. Good point. I I think you're spot on. Yeah. So when you think about Malembe Rise and what we're trying to accomplish, and again, you look at the pictures, you go to the website and you see happy children, happy teachers, people who are so happy to have a garden growing, are so happy to have a textbook in front of them. And as we go through COVID, we know that COVID has hit the Congo very hard, just like it has everywhere else. You know, we have the fortunate side to have resources that, you know, medical resources, et cetera. Can you share with people what is going on from a COVID perspective and Malembe Rise and the school? From a COVID perspective, that's actually kind of interesting. So in Congo and in other parts of the continent, especially the Congolese, they persevere. They're, this is not the first virus or... or that's right. Ebola. Right. That they've yeah. experienced. So this is just sort of like, okay, we press on. Nobody's at home uh, tweeting and being angry about being, you know... Wearing a mask. Right. Just off to wear a mask. Right. So they just push through. So we don't, what's funny is we, you know, we're working together, you know, with our DRC team to provide preventative measures, but to them, it's, this is what you do. And, you know, okay, we'll do this. We bring in the hand washing stations to the school. We ask that everyone wear masks. The government there did mandate masks, but that's kind of slipped off a little bit. The population's very young there, so they don't tend to see the same death rates that we have in the U.S., but which is another great reason to invest in education because the population is so young, but they're not seeing quite the same effects that we have because they know how to deal with it to be really straight a lot better than we do. It's not an oppressive personal situation with them. (laughs) So, yeah. And I liked what you said about limited resources. I mean, that's really all we, we are talking about is, is limited resources and, and the other side of that is our team and the Congolese, and they have tremendous assets, which is really what Molembe Rise focuses heavily on, is helping students and teachers to recognize those assets that exist in themselves, that exist in their community, that are already there to solve problems in their own families, communities, schools. Well, I think the other part that makes you know, this whole journey of GBA going into Malembe Rise is the fact that it is backed by a curriculum. It is backed by professors, teachers who have developed a curriculum that kind of, to your point, teaches young people not only how to go to university, but how can they also survive when they get done with school? Because not everyone can go on to university. So share a little bit about the curriculum, the development. And I think we are also forgetting that there's a language barrier. You know, they speak another language. So not only are you developing a curriculum, you're developing a curriculum in another language. You know, the amount of man hours it takes to make the curriculum is mind boggling to me. And it just doesn't happen by, you know, typing it into a computer and saying, oh, translate. It is done by thoughtful, intentional people who want the Congolese to be successful. And even adding to your point, it's not just another language, it's another culture. So this is adapted to the Congolese culture. It's not, we're not creating an American curriculum and asking it to be taught in Congo. 
that that would be a major misconception. This is actually one of the great values of Molembe Rise and has always been true when it, you know, from its beginning, um, when it was giving back to Africa till today is collaboration and understanding that we're all sitting around the table. And that's, you know, education experts from the U.S., education experts from Congo, adapting a curriculum that works for Congolese students and Congolese teachers. And so the examples and the analogies and the ways that this is taught and and, men, and kind of threaded through the national curriculum is for them. And to create, and really the long-term goal to be creating students who have agency and who look at the world and say, hey, I see this problem and I'm going to find figure out a way to solve that with my you know, fellow students, with my community, with the leaders in my community. It's just a fabulous thing to see someone recognize what they're good at and take that out and create a happier life for themselves and their family. And as we know, that wave carries out into the community, into the city and into the country. These youth will be the leaders and we must invest in them. And I think back to your point about the pandemic. I mean, (laughs) if it's taught us nothing, it's taught us that we're interconnected, whether we like it or not. We are interconnected. Uh. And we need to be investing. When you invest in one person's education, it's good for everyone. Yeah. You know, kind of like I said, when we were doing exec board bios and, you know, my whole thing was about my grandmother saying to my father, always get an education because that's something no one can take away from you. And that is true in any language, any culture. I think that is so critical. So I guess... When you look at the work that's being done over there, do you see it being able to work anywhere in the world? Yeah, I mean, I think that the real long-term goal or the goal with this work is to unlock dignity and equity. And that can be done anywhere. That We can see this being used and adapted to because we're really creating like systems, right, of how this works. How does this work in the Congolese context? How could this work in another context? It's a very meticulous process with a lot of, you know, really smart people sitting around the table doing assessments all the time as to what's working, what's not working, what are we doing well, what do we need to change? And I think philanthropy is always changing and adjusting. And it, it, is, it has to be malleable. And it can't be rigid in any way. It has to be adjusting. Philanthropy is such an exciting space to be in because it's, it's a place where you can take creative and innovative risk. And then on top of that, it's built on relationship. And those things have to be happening together. That's what makes it super fulfilling. Well, and, and you know, philanthropy has to be growing because years ago, there was not a school of philanthropy. Right. You know, there, right. it, it was really um, something that was taught by other people that were doing philanthropic work. It was never a school for it. And I think IU was one of the first in the country. Yeah, it is. If I'm not, yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, you're right. It is, you know, being creative, being connected. And again, back to COVID, we now, as you and I both know, we're having to connect with people very differently in order to get them to, to donate not just of time, but also to give financially, mm-hmm. you know, having done virtual event with Leslie Satcher, you know, great uh, country song or actually just great songwriter, you know, and then looking at other ways that we can help raise funds for us because it's needed. So thinking through all of that, what do you think is the toughest part leading the U.S. country? What's been the toughest part during all of this for you? The toughest part, like during COVID or yeah, I'd say the last year, because, you know, we're kind of here we are. We've decided to change our name. That's another discussion. We could probably go there um, after we figure out the tough part, because um, that that's part of that whole journey. You know, how did we get to Malembe Rise compared to giving back to Africa? You and I know that story, yeah. but it'd be fun. So let's just go there. Share that perspective of changing the name, oh. because when, when we even started talking about the subject, it opened my eyes in ways that I never thought could be opened. And not to say that I know it all because I should be, I'm, I'm a learn it all person, but from a, 
uh, just a really closed off point of view. You know, I, you join a philanthropy because you want to help them, but you really should join a philanthropy because you want to understand them. And when you understand them, you can be a better helper. And so when we went through this process of changing the name, I became an understanding member and not just a giving member. Let's just talk about that instead. I'd rather talk about that because I think that is more empowering. And then we'll get to the other part because we're not doing this podcast for free, folks. We're going to go to <laughs> www.melembeirise.com at the end. Just a little plug in. So let's go back to that other question. Awesome. Let's talk about why we made the name change. Wow. I feel like you said it so well. I'll just maybe try to fill in a couple of those details, but Someday, of course, you're going to need to get Anne-Marie Thompson on this podcast. Um, she's the, she's, on. The, she's the, on the list. Being the founder of Giving Back to Africa has an incredible story of, of her life growing up in, in DRC and always feeling that her heart was there and, and how could she contribute back to a place that had given her so much, which is really where that name came from, Giving Back to Africa. But I'll let her expand on that more. But it was the idea of giving back to a place that had given her so much. That's the real simple um, answer to how it got its original name. But to the point that we made earlier about philanthropy and Malembe Rise always having to adjust to the changing cultures and changing needs, we needed to adjust the name. I think in America, we're in a very tense time around race, conversations around race. And you can't turn on the news and not really see it happening in front of us. And so we're all realizing that we all have biases, no matter who we are, we all have biases and working on addressing those. And we felt that at the time, it was really important to create a name that was reflective of, of the growth we've all seen and, and, and reflective of the language that we're starting to understand better. We didn't want there to be a misconception that that there was anything lacking. So giving back made it seemed like there was a lack. There's no lack. <laughs> There's yep, no lack. Point. So we're walking alongside. We are not doing for, we're doing with. These are principles that have been a part of this organization since day one. We wanted to figure out a name that could reflect some of that. So we went through a really long process. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> But it was very good. Thank you, Jay. He did a great job. Yeah, Yeah. with communication loop. And so that was a great, it was great. But yeah, it went really deep. And and really any any kind of work like this, especially when it's cross-cultural work, you have got to be willing to address your own biases, your unconscious bias, whether that's about race or or that's about just differences in general, like whatever they are, like you've got to start addressing them. And he was great at ushering some of those conversations. Understanding Africa is not a monolith. I mean, you know, Africa has many, many, many countries and cultures and languages. And we talk about transferring this curriculum into Lingala, which is the language spoken in Congo, but there's also like 10 other languages spoken there, <laughs> including French. So, and the children take their own, their schooling in French. So, you know, they're, they're bilingual right from the start. So anyways, there's so many, there's so much richness and we wanted to show that in the name. And I'm going to guess that you want to talk about what Malembe means. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because I think some people look it up and they go, really? It's slow. It means slow. And you're, yeah. So I actually love that you're saying that because, yeah, sometimes people think of slow as being negative because in America we're all like, let's get it done. Let's tick our bodies off and we're moved. What do you mean? I mean, it's that whole ADHD thought process. You know, not only do we do that in our, our, you know, just doing a task, but in even, reading things, you know, everything comes across as a quick little text, a little flash, a little, because they know our brains have gotten to the point where we can only soak in so many seconds of information before we're on to the next thing. Right. So yeah, it's kind of nice to take it slow and easy. And I wish it could also say intention. We are rising with intention to be successful, not just to rise, but to do it with intention, be intent 
I mean, you've answered it. I mean, the phrase, the Lingala phrase that we that started this idea is Malembe Malembe, which you yeah. hear over and over again. You hear it from our founders and you'll hear it from Dr. Kendomba, who's our country director in DRC. Malembe Malembe, slowly, slowly, one step at a time. But yes, with intention, there's a lot of intention in what we do. We don't rush, we don't push, we walk alongside. And like I said before, any sustainable, successful philanthropy is rooted in trusted relationship. That doesn't come quickly. We have to establish trust and build on that in order to work together and collaborate in ways where everyone's voice is, you know, recognized and and listened to and action is taken upon. We're walking alongside to provide support. That's our role here. And it's a collaborative support. And really like what philanthropy's learned over the many, many years is this this work is not sustainable if it's not owned by the people doing it. You can have the most wonderful mission in the world, but if you don't have the right people involved and you don't have this kind of understanding that it has to be owned by them to to work this out and implement this, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to survive. We're committed to that. And that's really part of that Malembe in Malembe Rise. It's a commitment. It's a long-standing, long-term commitment to never push, but to walk alongside. We don't have all the answers. That's not that's not where we stand. And we know that. And it like to I love what you said because it's so true. It's got about the board of directors. We have to be committed to constantly returning and assessing our own biases and growing and challenging ourselves and challenging each other. And you're right, diversifying the board is a huge part of that because diversity brings dynamic perspective. That's what we need. And Jay Johnson of Communication Loop absolutely was a great facilitator of those kinds of tough conversations. So, yeah. and you have to get yourself out. And and be uncomfortable because if you're you are going to learn the most when you're uncomfortable and you have to be willing to go there to grow. And he's a great facilitator of those kinds of conversations. Yeah. And, and I think during that whole process, you also learn, you know, how to collaborate a little bit better, especially when we had to do it all remotely. Again, when you look at what COVID has done, even from developing a board, doing retreats, et cetera. The fact that we had to do it all remotely, it just brings another element of listening and learning to the table. So the being uncomfortable part, you know, you made a comment at our retreat or I can't remember if it was the retreat or the board meeting, asking people to give money. You said it's time to get uncomfortable. You know, we've kind of got to get out there um, and do that because during COVID, it's even harder to get people because you're not touching, you're not shaking hands, right. you're not able to have events where you can rub elbows and um, right. back people into a corner or you know, whatever the <laughs> right. term is. Right. Would love to hear more and let our listeners understand the value that Malembe Rise is, is, is bringing to that region. Great. I feel like everything. The big marker of this year, right, is March of 2020. <laughs> I don't think anybody will forget March of 2020. And the same is true for our team in Congo, who also as experiencing the pandemic, just as we are here in the States. I think this has been a remarkable year for our team. They have hit the ground running. When schools closed, they, sclo- they closed in Kinshasa, where our partner school is located the same as closing here in the U.S., kids were to be staying at home and not attending classes. So one thing that's important to remember is in the community where the partner school is, most people don't have access to electricity. So here in the States, a lot, our children, my kids are all online, right, and trying to keep up with their education, meeting with teachers and Zoom meetings and this and that. Well, kids in Our partner school don't have opportunities like that. Many don't have electricity and many don't even have access to radios, which is the way the government has tried to help spur educational efforts along during COVID. So there was just a real limited resource there. And our team was just so quick to say, we're going to go door to door. 
So this team of teachers took it upon themselves and to respond to the challenge um, and visit students door to door conducting lessons and monitoring the student progress. They also compiled a comprehensive report, which was like a summary and analysis of the activities that were going on during COVID-19. And this was actually presented to the DRC Ministry of Education and just highly uh, regarded by them. And it's just, it's really a remarkable resource that I think will be used for years to come. It's something that no one was doing at the time. And they just took it upon themselves to put this all together. So through the pandemic, our team with Malembe Rises kind of showcased its commitment to enriching education and continuing to invest in students despite whatever challenges are are happening. They just keep going. That is amazing. And so, you know, how many teachers are there that can actually go door to door? Right, right, exactly. So these, this is a team of six that goes door to door. And we had really funny comments from some of the students. They were like, you know, like shocked when they saw their student co- or their teacher coming up, of course. <laughs> I can and then, right, as my kids would be if a teacher appeared at our front door. Um but they really loved it because what message does that send to a student? It, it right. says you're important. You as a person are important. Your education is important. So then how many students are they going to see? I believe that they went to almost 100 homes. And I'm assuming those homes are not close together. Right. No, there's a lot of walking involved. <laughs> I mean, this is urban area outside of the city. But yeah, there's a lot of walking involved door to door, figuring out who lives where and visiting. And we have photos that, we'll, that we show from time to time of the teachers outside homes. And of course, every there also was a mask mandate in Kinshasa. So people wear masks there to prevent the spread. But they just really took this incredible initiative to show great concern and care and compassion towards students at this little school in a, in a pretty challenging, limited resources area. Unbelievable. So, and, you know, and education isn't the only challenge that these students have. I mean, they're probably a child of, of many inside of their home and poverty. It, it's not as if they're going to some fancy private school. They're, they're living in, in a different community, a different culture. So how has that been impacted and how has your team responded? Well, I think one of the things I think is really, really great about where we started in the partner school where this all began 10 years ago is it is a school, like we've said, with limited resources. And yet the teachers who teach there, as well as the students, have made incredible impacts on their community in years past, they've gone out to their community to teach about sanitation and clean water and proper hygiene. And so one of the most remarkable things that came out of this study that we just talked about that this group of teachers put together was the impact that this little tiny school has made on their community where, so a couple of years ago, students went teaching hygiene, like best practices for hand washing to prevent illnesses. Okay, so here we are in a pandemic. What's the community response? Well, we found out that the community actually referred back to this tiny school of children who, to your point, are living in challenging circumstances, had made this huge impact. And they all said the same thing. We learned this years ago when the students came and we, we learned it at the FET. We learned it at this huge party where they presented all the things they were learning. And we've been practicing this for a long time. And it was just remarkable to see how these kids have made an impact. They're student leaders. Congo's a young country. Most of the population is under, well, not most, but a large percentage of the population is under 18. So investing in education is, it's a must. Yeah. um, I'm sitting here taking notes. You know, again, we take for granted washing our hands. It's something that we just assume that everybody has access to because that's what we have access to. And, and to hear that these young individuals are having an impact in their community and with their own elders, I, I think that just speaks volumes to the work that is, is getting done. Um, and so, so when, you look, when you look out through this you know, wall of pandemic, COVID, what do you see on the horizon? 
post-COVID that the community at, at large, meaning the community that surrounds you and I as, as board members, how can we help? I just, I feel like the message out of this global pandemic is how important education really is. And education that's not rote and memorization, but education that promotes problem solving and critical thinking and collaboration. I mean, that's what this pandemic is teaching us. We have to actually work together. We are not all in a bubble. What I do affects you and affects my neighbor and affects someone else. So I think really what what I hope that what we all see is how interconnected we are and that we can make a difference. And when we commit to investing in education, even in a place like Democratic Republic of Congo, it's really good for everyone. Couldn't agree more. And so I'm smiling because you mentioned collaboration. And I think about Dr. Jerry, who's leading the charge in DRC on our behalf. You know, he's kind of your co-collaborator. Tell people about Dr. Jerry and, and what what his his schedule is like. To me, what he's been able to accomplish. Dr. Jerry Kondomba is an incredible leader. He is really an amazing man with just great visionary skills and great way of talking with anyone and everyone. There's Everyone is a friend to who we all refer to him as Dr. Jerry. That's the way he likes for us to refer to him. But he went to school. He went to med school. He's a doctor. He's a physician. But he realized the importance and, and the essential nature of education and how it could really promote so much positive change for Democratic Republic of Congo. And that's why he kind of switched gears and came into this education field. And we're just, he's truly the heart and soul of everything that we do. He is an initiator. He's a networker. He is an, um, a visionary. He he really works well. He believes in people. He invests in people. He invests in their development, whether that's our teaching team or the students at the school. He's just a compassionate and an incredible leader for us. He implements all the work. So yeah, to his day, what does his day look like? <laughs> well, when I get emails where I know it's two in the morning in Congo and I'm getting an email here, he's working very hard to keep us all informed and around the table making decisions and talking and learning from one another. And I couldn't ask for a better partner. Yeah, because when I think of the role the government plays over there, which maybe you can kind of explain that to um, people listening, it's it's very different than what we experience here in the United States. Yeah, it is really different. It's interesting. It's a challenge for sure. And I think, you know, you're looking at post-colonial Congo and there's just the Congolese have had to endure so much. Right. And as we know, those kinds of things get go generation to generation, right? They don't just disappear. It's a challenge. But I, Dr. Jerry, is in a, like I said, he's just one of those people that is able to sort of, I don't know, create positive relationships with anyone. And he's really helped Malembe um, Rise to professionalize and grow. And he's had opportunities to speak about the curriculum that he and his team and the team here in the U.S. have um, collaborated on and developed together. He's spoken um, in a couple of different countries on the continent, and he's really an expert in this. So the ministry is listening, and we're constantly working with them to try to figure out ways that we can sort of thread what we've learned to be successful in teaching and promoting critical thinking and problem solving in these young adults into the national standards. So do you think, you know, and again, you're not, I'm not an expert on U.S. education, but when I think of what is being done, I, I just think, how can, how can young people around the world benefit from this? Because to me, problem solving and critical thinking isn't just a DRC problem. I, you know, and we could get off on a tangent here. We probably don't want to do that. Um, but it would, it's just interesting to me that they're embracing it. You have young people who are going and leading their community. And yet, why, why aren't we doing that here? 
And, and again, I guess I'm not looking for an answer, but that's something I would love to hear from someone. So anybody out there who's on the education side would love to understand how we can make all children around the world feel that we are investing in them. We are investing in their education and that we're trying to empower students towards positive change, that it's just vital to everyone's success. A huge shift. You're totally, that's so wise because it is a shift. It's not about individual success as much as it is about collaborative success and community success and my, knowing my assets and how, and knowing your assets and how can we work together and bring our skills and talents to create, to do something good, to solve a problem or create something that will be good for our community. Right. Cause you know, I, I think about the uh, garden, there was a garden that these young children were working and feeding the community. I, I just think what Anne Marie started is phenomenal. And I think, you know, even though the name is changing from giving back to Africa to Malembe Rise, um, it just means that we are intent on continuing the legacy and really making it even better. Yeah, absolutely. So if there is anything else you would want to share with the community, because we are a, a young board, we are transitioning, we are embracing the changes that are occurring throughout the world. Is there anything that you would want people to know? Gosh, you know, I guess I would say that I think a lot of people know the challenges that exist in Democratic Republic of Congo. I think people are really aware of poverty. They're aware that there is constant war, that there is a, they're aware of refugees. They're aware of all of those stories. We hear those, but, that's all, but that tends to be all people here. And what Malembe Rise is really committed to is helping the world understand that there is so much goodness coming out of Congo and there's so much leadership and innovation. And there's so many incredibly qualified teachers that we have to learn from. And we're just trying to um, pass the mic really and help that to be shown and giving people an opportunity to invest in the education of a youth who will eventually take leadership over this country. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful, incredible group of people. We're super yes. fortunate that they're on our team. Yeah, I, I would agree. Ab- absolutely. It, it's, a, it's a blessing to get to work with these great educators, leaders, and people who really want the best for the community. It's just wonderful. And, and I think you leading the charge because of your passion is felt. It, it ripples through the current group of people that you are leading, such as myself and the others on the board and the different committees, et cetera. I think it's just phenomenal. So in my opinion, um, you definitely have earned the title of Achieving Woman because you've taken it and led us into kind of a rebirth, so to speak. And and, um, that's not easy to do. So hats off to you for taking a leap of faith and really just kind of saying, we got to do this. And so I hope you see that you're changing giving back to Africa to meet the demands of the 21st century, which is great. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, it's a great team. We've got a great team here and a great team there. And really, we could have the most incredible mission in the world. But if we don't have the right people at the table, it's really not going to mean anything. That's actually really well put. (laughs) You're right. All right. Does that work for you? Yeah, I think that's it's the conversation I have with Jim and Marie weekly. And it is my passion. I, I don't I want to see this succeed because I love this mission and I love these people. I love the Kandamba family and, and these children that I've seen. And yeah, I appreciate you saying that. It's really important. I go back to you made a choice after you're earning a master's degree to stick with a small 501c3 and say, I can make a difference. And um, you are. And I I hope you never think differently because, you know, we all know there are some days where you're flying high and other days you're, you're ready to crash 
crash and burn, but you just keep going and, and you do it because it's the passion that that speaks to you. So but look at our team, right? I mean, that's, that's is my, that's my relationship with Dr. Jerry. That's someone who perseveres yeah. every day, who's resilient, who finds joy because that's, that's what you do. So, I mean, I, I'm super thankful because you're right. There are days that are down for everyone, but it's amazing to be surrounded by incredibly positive people who know that there's power behind this to make a huge impact. And you just keep going one step at a time. Malembe, malembe, one step right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it's that, you know, that I think about the... Uh, it's the Christmas carol, put one foot in front of the other. You know, you just keep going, put one foot in front of the other. And eventually we're going to, we're going to reach the milestones where, where um, we can help even more people, um, which to me is what is the exciting part. There is no, no limit. And I sit here and I think, how can we collaborate with other, other groups? And I think about charity water and how they got started, you know, Washing hands is a pretty big deal. So how do you partner with Charity Water to to help people wash hands? You, you know, you just think about it. Uh, yeah. And so the other thing I would ask, you got divorced, you went to grad school, you still were raising three children. That in itself is is quite the achievement as well. And I think we as women, we forget to look at everything that we do and instead of waiting for some huge milestone for an achievement, why can't every day be an achievement? Why can't we pat ourselves on the back every day for doing something that has made our lives better, our children's lives better? You know, if your significant other, whoever, or even just the environment, you picked up trash today. There's something to be said about looking at achievement the same way we look at gratitude journals. You know, why can't we doing the dishes someday? That could be a heck of an achievement. You know, why can't we look at everyday accomplishments the same way we look at huge milestones? Well, I'm going to now. That's kind of my goal. <laughs> is how, how can we look at our everyday stuff in a really good way? You know, give ourselves our own trophy versus letting the kids have all the trophies. So, you know, I want to be a trophy wife in a different way. That's all I'm going to say. Awesome. I love it. That's so great. That's wise. I love it. Oh, my word. Our goal is really to support teachers, which I think this year, if there's any, ever a year that we appreciate teachers, it's this year. Yes. Teachers in Congo often work two or three jobs. Some of our teachers are working two jobs, three, three jobs to make ends meet for their families. So are, are teachers mainly women over in the Congo? Actually, a lot of teachers are men. And that's okay. you can probably think in your head why. And it's because of childcare and issues around caring for children. So a lot of times it's men because women will always become the caregiver that returns to care for elderly family members or children. There certainly okay. are lots of women teachers, but we see this profession a lot with men as well. But yeah, so it's just being able to support teachers who are in turn going to empower students to be leaders of positive change for themselves, for their families, for their community. So we can't do that without financial support. We need to be paying um, you know, fair and equitable wages and be doing things that support that and allow our team members to have happy, successful lives, just the same as we want things here. I think the thing about Americans, we, we really uh, don't spend a whole lot of time talking about finances. We feel really uncomfortable and fidgety when people start talking about money and, and now we're begging for money. We're not begging for money. We're asking you to invest in education. We're asking you to be a part of a bigger story. We're asking you to make a difference with your life, to have a legacy of giving, to show your children what it means to give. And this is just something that is an exciting part of life. And we don't, we do live in scarcity oftentimes, I think here, especially in America. And sometimes it seems like the people who have the most are the ones that give the least. And that's something I've seen for the last 15 years. But giving, it's a science, it's real. Giving makes you feel good. It's, it's true. 
It really is true. It gets your mind off yourself, off your own problems and helps you to release some of that. Give to somebody else, someone else's success and happiness. And I just don't think, I think the other great thing about philanthropy and the sense of community and belonging that comes out of philanthropy is we realize how much of life we did not do on our own. Somebody else walked with us step step by step. Somebody encouraged and inspired us the way that my friends did for me when my life felt like it was crashing down. We can turn around and do that for someone else. Wow. I can't, I can't, I can't finish a podcast better than that one. So, I, you know, as they say, as we enter this time of giving, giving is receiving, um, receiving is giving. I think it works. It works both ways. It's it's a two way street. So, again, you know, my goal is this podcast will be out on Giving Tuesday. So as people listen to this, I ask you to please give to Malembe Rise. Um, you will you will bring joy to um, a part of the world that needs joy and you'll bring joy to yourself which is a great way to go. So thank you, Sarah. This is a great conversation. I could talk to you for hours. Your, your insight on philanthropy, I think, is, is very insightful and it, it gives a different twist to it. You know, it's not just about writing a check. It's about trusting that the money that you are giving is going to be used, appreciated, and not just squandered. And that's what you do. You make sure it is used in every every way possible. So Dr. Cherry um, over in the Congo and the students reap the benefits of it. So yeah, um, I encourage everybody to go to www.malembirise.com. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for joining me today. I don't know about you, but I sure am grateful for the opportunity to listen and learn from such great women. So if you enjoyed yourself as much as I did, please feel free to share Braveful podcast with your friends and colleagues, as well as please subscribe to Braveful on your favorite podcast apps. Have the best day ever. And until next time, be Braveful. <laughs>